Turn, if you would, to Ephesians, uh, to Romans chapter 6, please. Uh, yesterday, we drove down to Nacogdoches. My daughter, as you know, goes to Stephen F. Austin, and she is a member of an organization called DAC, Dancers Against Cancer, and they have a spring and a fall fundraising thing, and for the last three of them, my wife has made a quilt out of T-shirts, and they auction everything off. And you have to understand, I think I told you this once before, we're not talking high-dollar auctions here, okay? And we went to the morning one, and they auctioned her quilt off in the evening, so we weren't actually there. Uh, in the morning one, they had two other quilts that they auctioned off, and my wife was rather disappointed because... One of them sold for 50 bucks and the other one for 55 or something. So in the evening, they auctioned her quilt off and it sold for $1,000. So now what is interesting about the story, just to add the second piece to it, the, uh, the money that they raise goes, is split in two and half of it goes to an individual to help pay expenses while they are having their cancer treated. And the other half of it goes to an organization that does a similar type thing. Well, the lady that runs the organization was trying to buy the quilt. And one of the parents of one of the girls was bidding against her until they got to $1,000, and then the lady dropped out. And then the man who bought it paid for it and walked over and gave it to her. So, so. Anyway, we are continuing the doctrinal statement of the church. Um, remember, we talked about salvation. Then we had a discussion about sanctification. Sanctification is that working out in our everyday life what Christ has put in us, what God has declared us to be. We have been declared righteous, and so we work that out in our everyday life, and that is the process of sanctification. But what exactly does that look like for us on a daily basis? This section of the doctrinal statement is called the Christian walk, and it has to do with how we work this out today how we work this out on a day-to-day -day basis. If we have the time, we're going to make it through three sections. So for those of you who are leaving early, I'll go ahead and tell you what they are. It is the Christian walk, and we're going to talk about living by, well, in the Spirit and not by the flesh. Then we're going to talk about how God has empowered us to do this, namely by the giving of gifts to us to empower us to do something. But then we're told what we're supposed to do, which is to go to all of the world making disciples out of people. That is the Great Commission. So that's where we're headed today. Hang on to your hats. Maybe we'll get there. So, and I have been losing my voice all week, so hopefully we'll make it through this. We believe that we are called with a holy calling to walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, and so to live in the power of the indwelling Spirit, 
that we, are not that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But the flesh, with its fallen, edemic nature, which in this life is never eradicated, being with us to the end of our earthly pilgrimage, needs to be kept by the Spirit constantly in subjection to Christ. Or it will surely manifest its presence in our lives to the dishonor of the Lord. Okay. There is a lot in this, but let's step through this, okay? We are called to a holy calling. What does that mean? We talked about holiness, and we talked about it meaning being set apart. Here is the world, and we are to be set apart. Not set apart as in removed from, but set apart as being different from. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are not to follow the world's ways of doing things. We are called to be holy. Now, jumping forward, just a piece of this. Unfortunately, you and I still have our sin nature. You would love, you would love to accept Christ and have all of that removed from us. But what does it say? But the flesh with its fallen, Adamic nature, which in this life is never eradicated. That sounds depressing. Why can't we eradicate it? Well, my contention is, that God wants to teach us to live a life of dependence upon Him at all times. There's never going to be a time on this earth where you can lean back on your easy chair and say, I've done it all. I am perfect. I don't need God. So what we see in this world is this battle going on between the spiritual and the flesh. And I would contend, if you are not feeling this battle in your life, it probably means you've given up. You've just assumed you can't win it, so you've just given up. We're not going to have a show of hands about how many of you struggled this week with sin of some sort. Because... We don't want each other to know. But let me let you in on a secret. We all did. There was that moment when I wanted to get angry. So I did. Wait, that's not the right answer. I'm the teacher. There was that moment when I wanted to get angry and I didn't. Or maybe there was one of each. That is the walk that we are living in. So, let's look at some verses as we work through this statement. Romans 6, 11 through 13. Remember what Romans 6 is teaching us. Romans 5 ends with this wonderful idea that where sin has abounded, grace has abounded even more. 
So somebody comes up with this great idea. If there's more sin, there's more grace. Therefore, I ought to have more sin and then I'll get more grace. Wouldn't that be great? And Paul says, heck no. No, don't think about it that way. Because you are going to be enslaved to whoever you serve. So, verse 11, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin. The good King James Bible says, reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. I stuttered there, as instruments, as instruments. What does this mean? You and I have to choose what that hand is going to do. What does it say? Do not offer the parts of your body to sin. In the doctoral statement, we talk about the flesh. We need to understand what we mean when we talk about the flesh. We're not saying that your human body is evil and wicked in and of itself. That would make us good Gnostics. We're not Gnostics. God created us in human form and he declared us good. But we were not intended to live a life being driven by our passions. We were meant to live a life being directed by God. And in the terms that we're talking about, when I follow the Spirit, I am living in accordance with God's directions. When I am living in the flesh, I am living by the passions of this world. And you and I both know that the passions of this world are strong and they exist and they're ever present in our world. You sit here and decide. Now, remember when we talked about justification, and we went to great lengths, great lengths, to talk about the fact that it is God who saves us. We do not contribute anything to our justification. And then we started talking about sanctification, and we talked about God sanctifying us. But we also began to talk about the fact that we do, in fact, contribute to that. But don't ever fall into the trap of thinking justification is all God, sanctification is all me. Because then you've fallen into the trap. 
What does this say? We are to offer ourselves, we are to live by the Spirit. It is never a question of us doing it in our own power, but it is us following after the Spirit or following after the flesh. We do participate in this Christian walk. That's why it's called, this section, the Christian walk. Count yourselves dead to sin. Well, that's a strange thing. Count yourself. Reckon that you are dead to sin. Well, if I was dead to sin, why do I keep sinning? Well, I keep sinning because I still have a sin nature. But we are to acknowledge the fact that that sin nature has been dealt with in the, through the finished work of Jesus, and we don't have to follow after the flesh. We can acknowledge, I am now free. I do not have to follow that fleshly nature. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Let's go on to the next verse. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if we live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Do you see this decision? The Spirit, the flesh. If you go this way, you will die. Now, wait a minute. Didn't you just say, or haven't you said repeatedly, because we talked about this like last week, that I'm not going to lose my salvation? And that's true. You're not going to lose your salvation. But if you live a life continually seeking after the flesh and ignoring the direction of the Spirit, it is the indicator that you are not part of the body of Christ. Now, do we as believers sometimes seek after the flesh? Yes. Do we sometimes seek after the things of the Spirit? Yes. Is that the struggle? Yes. Do you see the issue that is at stake? We have an obligation, but it is not to our sinful nature. Do you remember the discussion that we had when we talked about the fall? The fact that Adam and Eve sinning brought sin to all of humanity because we were in Adam. And we had a brief discussion about the fact that Adam and Eve had the ability to not sin. After the fall, we are actually enslaved to sin. We do not have the ability 
to not sin. Now, that doesn't mean everything we do is as bad as it could be. It just means we have a sinful nature. But having been made right with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we do have the ability to not sin. I don't know about you, but sometimes you face a temptation and you think, I cannot continue this battle. It will be easier just to give in and get forgiveness afterwards. Don't do that. You are not a slave to sin, even though you may feel like you are still a slave to sin because the flesh is still present in our lives. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die, but if by the Spirit you are put to death, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, a long passage from Galatians, and we could spend three weeks on this. I know that because I spent three weeks on this uh, a year ago. The last part of this is very familiar to all of us. The fruit of the Spirit is. That's the good list. But what we oftentimes overlook is the list before that, which are the, let's see, the acts of the sinful nature. This is the middle of this. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. This is what the flesh does to us. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. That's the bad list. Do you want to know what living by the flesh means? There it is. And I go, wait a minute. I haven't been drunk this week. I'm off the hook. But you understand, right, the pull towards some of these things. Okay? Uh, dissension, factions, selfish ambition. Any of you see that in our world today? Any of you see that in your own life? If you don't see it in your own life, you could be lying to yourself, just saying. Idolatry, witchcraft. Okay, we haven't had a lot of witchcraft in my immediate family. But what is idolatry? Idolatry is simply putting anything in the place of God. I am to seek God. I am to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you know, this is really cool over here. And off I go. That's idolatry. So, we have the list, which is the acts of the flesh. We have the list, which is the fruit of the Spirit. What is it that keeps us from having the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? 
the works of the flesh. What is it that overcomes the work of the flesh? The fruit of the Spirit. Which is it that wins? Well, ultimately, we know that God is going to win. But let's not think right now about ultimately. Let's think about this afternoon. This afternoon, which is going to win? Well, are you going to acknowledge that this, these are the deeds of the flesh and this is the fruit of the Spirit and I'd rather have this and I'm going to turn this way? That is the Christian walk. Now, is this depressing to you? Wouldn't you just love the Christian walk? I become a Christian. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I get on the cruise ship and all my needs are taken care of for my journey of life. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be great? Isn't that what we all want? Why can't God do that? Because he has something else in mind for us. All you have to do is read the book of Acts. All you have to do is read Paul's letters or Peter's letters. These are the top dogs of the... Christian world. And what happens to them? They get beaten. They get rocks thrown at them. They get run out of town. They get ultimately killed. And you know what they do in the middle of all that? They praise God. How can they do that? Because they understand the Christian walk. We want the Christian walk to be something else. And then we get frustrated when it isn't that something else. So, back to the beginning of this verse in passage in Galatians. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. This is as black and white as it gets. There's two choices, A and B. You can walk by the spirit or you can walk after the, the desires of the flesh. Pick one. Today, this afternoon, today, as you're driving home, you get to choose which of these you want to do. Now, remember, it is following the Spirit. It isn't you. It's the Spirit working in you. It's you saying yes or it's you saying no. That's why Paul can tell us, don't do it. Don't go that way. Live by the Spirit, not by the desires of this flesh, of this 
world. Now, why is this so hard? Well, it's hard because we do have the sin nature living inside of us, and it's hard because the world wants to tell you how great the desires of the world are. Repeatedly, with every commercial, with everything you read, where everything you see, every billboard on your way home, you're going to be told your life would be better if you followed the desires of the flesh. I was reading a uh, book this week, and it was talking about an MTV series on the seven deadly sins. I actually tried to find the series, and I couldn't. I found articles about it, but... And they get all these rock stars, and they ask them about the seven deadly sins. Well, lust isn't a sin. That's great stuff. Why would you call it? Pride isn't a sin. Pride means you like yourself. It's just following after the desires of the flesh. So, we've done the Christian walk. The Christian walk is... Following the Spirit, not the flesh. This section is called the Christian's service. We believe that divine enabling gifts for service are bestowed by the Spirit upon all who are saved. While there is a diversity of gifts, each believer is energized by the same Spirit, and each is called to his own divinely appointed service as the Spirit may will. Let's stop right there. What we're going to talk about is the idea of spiritual gifts. Many of you have probably heard this at some point in your life. Um, Generally, we get into a controversial discussion about certain gifts that we understand are not practiced today. We're not going to talk about that because we actually talked about it several weeks ago, okay? Namely, speaking in tongues uh, and the gift of healing. Now, I'll say what I said then. We are not saying that God doesn't heal people. God heals people. What we are saying is that God bestowed the the gift of healing on certain people at certain times in order to authenticate their message. We now have the written word of God. That's the authentication that we have. So we're not going to talk about that. If you want to bring that up, go talk to somebody else. You can come talk to me. I can handle it. But sometimes... In our discussion of those gifts, we overlook the fact that God has given us, the body of Christ, the tools that we need to accomplish His purpose for our life. God tells us to do something and then gives us what we need to accomplish that something. That's pretty amazing. God gives us what we need to accomplish what he wants us to do. He does it for us as individuals. 
but he does it for us collectively as the body of Christ. Backing up, while there is a diversity of gifts, each believer is energized by the same spirit and catch this next sentence. I actually love this. And each is called to his own divinely appointed service as the spirit may will. What does that mean? It means God has planted you somewhere. And God has given you a task where he planted you. Do that task. But I know what we're all thinking. Yeah, but his task looks a lot more fun. Her task looks like it's accomplishing a lot more stuff. And we start comparing where God has put us and what God has called us to do with the places that God has put other people. And we go, I, I, want, I, want, this, I want this over here. And we ignore the place that God has put us. Backing up, just one smidgen. Don't follow the works of the flesh. What is one of the works of the flesh? Envy. It's thinking, oh, they're doing something great. And God has just given me this. No. No. Do you remember the sermon two weeks ago? God gave the one five talents, one three, one, one. I know what I would do if I were the guy with one talent. Why does he get five? Why don't I, why don't I get five? In fact, why don't I get 10? Because I'm certainly better than him. And what does he end up doing? He doesn't do anything with his one. He doesn't do anything with it. God has put each of us somewhere and God has enabled us to do what God has called us to do. But we want somewhere else. <coughs> in, the, <coughs> in the apostolic church, there were certain gifted men apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers who were appointed by God for the perfecting of the saints into their work of ministry. We believe also that today some men are especially called of God to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers, that it is to the fulfilling of His will and to His eternal glory that these shall be sustained and encouraged in their service of God. Now, I want you to see this distinction. There are people who are called into what you and I refer to as full-time Christian ministry, okay? That means they get paid, right? As the old joke goes, uh, they get paid to be good, I'm good for nothing, okay? <laughs> and the scripture repeatedly says that we we have an obligation to support those people, okay? There's some 
you know, metaphor used about the donkey gets to eat the grain or whatever, okay? Um, and we need to accept that, that that is our obligation to support those who are called to full-time Christian work. That includes pastors, that includes missionaries around the world. That's a good thing. The dilemma is that we begin to think they're doing God's work, I'm doing my work. They're doing God's work, I'm doing, well, whatever I want to do. One of the outcomes of the Protestant Reformation was this reaffirmation of the ideal that you and I are all priests. It isn't, they're the holy people over there, and they're the priest, and we are the, well, we're whatever's left. No. We are all called to be priests. We are all gifted. We are all given what we need to accomplish the stuff that God wants us to do where he has put us. Don't wait for them to do the work of the ministry. What does this say? Who are appointed by God for the perfecting of the saints unto their work of ministry. What is the job of the staff of this church? To prepare you to do the work of God. It's not to do the work of God, although they are doing the work that God has given them to do. Don't think that they're the ones supposed to do it and you're the ones that are sit there and throw them a few bucks so they can buy bread for dinner. No, you and I are called to do it. Does that make sense? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that we are the ministers? Romans chapter 12, verse 6 to 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is in showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. In the New Testament, there's at least three passages that give us lists of spiritual gifts. And there is a discussion that has been had about whether these lists are complete, definitive, or whether God can give you other gifts. And I'm not going to get into that. Why? Because I'm not going to argue with what God can or can't do. But let's just look at the list here. God has given you and me something. And when God has given us something, I know this is hard, what are we supposed to do? That's something. I mean, I, I, I would love if there were some detailed discussion here. If it is teaching, let him teach. 
Well, let me, can you give me a, like a detailed list of what that means? No. If God gives you a gift, God wants you to use that gift, period. What does it look like? Well, it may look a little different from you and a little different from me. Now, there are tests that you can take to determine your spiritual gift. Okay? You take this quiz. I feel real good when I do this. When I do this, it really stinks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I am not going to disparage those. I mean, I have taken them before. Our church has given them before. There's nothing wrong with them. But let me tell you how to find your spiritual gift. Go do something. And then go do something else. And then go do something else. And in fact, you may need to do something for a long time before you figure it out. But you know, if I think I can sit in this chair until God miraculously reveals to me what my spiritual gift is, I'm probably going to be in that chair for a long time. If I based my teaching career on the first time I taught, I wouldn't be here today. It was Youth Sunday at our church, the Baptist church that I grew up in. And so uh, members of the youth department went and taught all the adult Sunday school classes. And I had the wonderful blessing, misfortune, blessing, blessing of teaching my father's class. Okay? And I had prepared and I was ready and I taught for 10 minutes. Probably. <laughs> and wait, there was another 30 minutes left. Oh, shoot. I've gotten over that problem. Now my problem is just knowing when to stop. But having said that, let's just say it wasn't the most grand thing in the world. Okay? But you know, after another 10 years of teaching, I finally realized I probably ought to be teaching. Okay? Why am I saying this? First off, go do something. And secondly, don't quit just because it doesn't work the first time. I mean, I will assure you that it's not going to work the first time. Because you don't know what you're doing. But you come away from it thinking, I could figure that out. God could help me. And if it doesn't, go try something else. Observation number three. I believe that God has gifted certain people in different ways. But in one sense, all of us are called to do all of these things. What does that mean? Well, what does it say? Um, let him give... If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. There are those who have the gift of giving. But you know what? You're called to give too. There are those who have the gift of evangelism. But you know what? You're supposed to evangelize too. There are those who have the gift of teaching. But you know what? You're supposed to teach too. 
You may not recognize it, but you're teaching somebody all the time. It can be your grandkids. It can be the neighbor. It can be totally outside any context of a formal classroom, but you're teaching. I have always understood it that it is the job of those who are gifted to help all of us understand what it means to use that spiritual gift. We see somebody who has the gift of evangelism. It's like one pastor I heard say about Billy Graham. You know that Billy Graham has the gift of evangelism because he can get up and he can preach a lousy sermon and 10,000 people will still come forward. You know, even Billy Graham probably taught one lousy sermon. I don't know. You may witness to a handful of, a handful of people in your life, but you know what? That's where God has put you. That's all you're responsible for. And we're responsible to use the gifts that God has given us. In uh, a lot of discussions today, this uh, discussion of gifts has actually been broadened. You know, God gives us gifts. He gives us certain passions. He gives us certain talents. He gives us certain desires. And God wants you to take all of that and put it to work in the ministry. And the job of the ministers, that is, the professional people, is to help you and me, in case you have any questions, I am not a professional at this. I am good for nothing. <laughs> they are to help us do the work. Why? I will guarantee this. I will guarantee this. In the next week, you're going to come into contact with somebody who Dr. Cody McQueen will never have an opportunity to meet in his life. But you do. So don't wait for him to minister to him. You do it. Whatever that is. So, um, once again, we see more list of the uh, spiritual gifts. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors. There's actually long lessons about what each of these mean, and they're useful, by the way. You ought to understand what the different gifts are. Um, there is a difference between being a pastor and being a teacher, in case you're not aware. Um, pastor is ministering to the flock. Teaching is sitting up here talking about the word of God. Um, and they're both needed. They're all needed. Maybe I should repeat that again. They're all needed. Um, we believe that wholly apart, this is back to the doctrinal statement, 
wholly apart from salvation benefits which are bestowed equally upon all who believe, rewards are promised according to the faithfulness of each believer in his service for the Lord, and that these rewards will be bestowed at the judgment seat of Christ after he comes to receive his own to himself. This was the sermon two weeks ago. So I don't have to repeat this. God gave one five, I mean, the master gave one five, one three, was it three or two? Whatever, and one one. And he came and he wanted to see what people had done. And we understand that there are rewards associated with being faithful to what God has given you. This is distinct from salvation. This was the sermon two weeks ago. Um, Here's a long passage. We won't make it all the way through. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether for good or for bad. We have one more section, and we're not going to do it. We'll do this one next week because it is the Great Commission. So what is the point of all of this? We are justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are sanctified where we become what God has declared us to be. We become righteous. And God has promised that he is going to continue this process But we, we, every moment of every day, are faced with a choice. It's the works of the flesh or the works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And guess what? You have to make a commitment. I'm going to pursue the fruit of the Spirit. Or I am, by definition, going to fall into the works of the flesh. That is the decision, and that is the Christian walk. We may not like it, but God does, because he had a reason for it. So, the choice is actually simple. The individual choices may not be that simple, but the choice is simple. Do I follow the flesh, or do I follow the Spirit? If there is absolutely no desire to follow the Spirit, you need to re-examine whether, in fact, you were ever justified and declared righteous. If there is a struggle, welcome to the Christian walk. The struggle does not prove that you're not saved. If there is no struggle, that's what I would worry about. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have empowered us to do what you have called us to do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.